iTunes presents Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store. Welcome to Hampton Inn. Do you have a reservation? No. Is that a dog in your bag? Nope. We actually allow small pets with a cleaning deposit. Good, because I have a small dog in my vehicle. What are you doing back in Mercury? Or you, you move back or? Of course not. Gross. Here's the deal. Buddy Slade and I are meant to be together, and I'm here to get him back. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's married with a kid on the way. No, nope, kid's here. I'm cool with it. I mean, I've got baggage, too. I would keep all of this to yourself. I would I would find a therapist. <laughs> that new baby of his is just darling. Have you seen it? Up close? Shot. You know what? Oh my god. God, you are a piece of work. Can I help you find something? I'm going to a rock concert with an old flame. Let's show him what he's been missing. No, he's seen me recently. He knows. But his wife hasn't seen me in a while, so. You can come to the city with me like we always planned. Mavis, I'm a married man. Oh, we can beat this thing together. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, John Hodgman, and tonight's guest, Patton Oswalt. Congratulations on this film. Thanks, man. I have seen the film. Has anyone else here seen the movie yet? You saw the trailer. The movie comes out on Friday. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you're going to know that the trailer is a little deceptive. What? Uh, it's not a science fiction film. Oh. I, Why are you, not, you're, you are chasing the audience away. It's, I'm just, it's ridiculous. Just, look, it's a wonderful film, but they should know. It is not know. a sequel to The Astronaut's Wife. It I'm is sorry. not a I'm sorry. It's, we are all waiting for it. And we I thought know. I if mean, anyone was going to get it made, it I don't would know be how many more letters they need to send to that studio. Yeah. yeah. There's, just one, there's just one giant robot kaiju battle way in the background <laughs> yeah. in Minnesota. Like you barely, if you blink, you miss it. Because I guess they decided to focus yeah. on the human relationships. It, it looks like snow flurries. It's so badly shot. It's like people are talking about life and fate in the foreground. Right. And you're like, I know that that robot is loading missiles onto its yeah. forearm launchers. Yeah. I don't know why. Why don't yeah. they just rack focus? It's right uh, there. Just, it's turning into a lion right now. Can we just it, see that? Yeah. It's <laughs> But now we have to hear these humans talk very realistically oh, about, oh, these, the, about their lives. These skin-covered co bone frames. That's what I call humans. That's all they are. Skin-covered bone frames. That was originally the title of this film, I think. Was it? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was, yeah. But then I signed on, and they couldn't get the word fat in there. So they, oh. uh, <laughs> they couldn't add cellulite somehow. So. Uh, no, it's a, it's a wonderful film about 
actual human beings without, it's not based on any uh, old television show no. or comic book or board game. Nope. It has no CGI elements. It's just, well, we did have to buy the rights from Young Adult Breakfast Cereal, but that's the only thing it's based on. Oh, well, that, Remember the right. delicious Young Adult Breakfast Cereal back yeah. in the day? You, you, no one had that growing up with the, the 38? On, on, on Wios, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. It, was a, it was a little crispy corn puff shaped like 38-year-old unmarried women that are really bitter. And, no, wow, am I the, maybe it was like a Virginia thing when I was growing up. Yeah, yeah, I think no, it was, I think I it was, think like, it was regional. Yeah, it was a little regional cereal company. <laughs> I like the one with crunch berries. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, when, when, when they added the snark berries to it, yeah, those were amazing. Exactly. Yeah, but limited, limited edition. Very limited. Certain, you can still buy them on eBay, but don't yeah, but, uh, open that's, it. Because that, that, that it's a good full shelf of tarantulas. Life, but, uh, it, oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, but as much as you'd like to continue to joke, yeah, I'm, oh, wow, I'm going to get real. Let's get real, man. Hey, you're a good actor in this movie. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for yeah. I was. I mean, look, the, the the caliber of acting in the film is very high. Well, you know, it's it's Charlize, and I think that if anyone here has seen Monster, which she is so amazing in, but in that movie, you know, she gained a lot of weight. She put on makeup. She had a little bit of wiggle room. Well, you did to that, go. but you did that just for tonight. I well, yeah, no, I I gained forty pounds for this movie twenty years before Diablo wrote it. That is how. <laughs> committed I was. That is method. That is true. Yeah, that that's, is that's true called method. method gambling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but, uh, but in this movie, she plays at least um, psychologically just as horrible a character and just as damaged a character, but looks even more like herself. So there's nowhere for her. To, I mean, it's almost uncomfortable watching because there's nowhere for her to hide. Right. And, and there's all no. those scenes, which I think it's so ballsy. She shows the process of what she goes through to look like Charlize Theron, all the makeup and all the, the weird chicken cutlets and that the, she puts on her chin. Like, it's crazy. She doesn't actually put chicken cutlets on her breasts. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say chicken cutlets? It's these things. I didn't know about it until the movie. It's these weird yeah. glue-on plastic. Basically, now hot women are borrowing ideas from Comic-Con nerds, just of like just taping weird fake muscles to themselves sure, yeah. to give themselves the, the Hulk torso. And, uh, and, but I mean, you see, she is absolutely vulnerable in this picture. You are absolutely vulnerable in this picture. It is about real humans dealing with real, and you know the story, obviously, is about a woman who uh, goes back to her hated hometown yeah. in Mercury, Minnesota, to attempt to reconnect with an old flame uh, who happens to be married. Happily married with a great kid. And I'm not sure the kid was so great. That kid's a little cute. Well, it's a little early to tell. Let's that is that true, way. yeah. That, that kid could be the next Hitler. We'll never know. But, um, the, uh, but what's so cool about it is the first 15 minutes of the movie have all of the same rhythms that you guys are very familiar with of romantic comedies of here's the big city girl and she's going back to the small town. And then just like Takasha Miike's audition, it takes the craziest... <laughs> right turn into dark mental illness where you yeah. realize, oh, if you actually did romantic comedy stuff in real life, it would be, it would be frightening and scary. You would be monstrous. Yeah, you would be yeah. a monstrous human and being. And you would deserve to have your feet cut off with a wire. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which, that doesn't happen in this movie. Unfortunately, it does not happen in this movie. No, right. no. So. 
So. Uh, but you're right. I mean, uh, but Audition was a really strange film in, in the same way because that is a romantic. It's a, like a very lighthearted romantic comedy. The first 15 so. minutes has all the pacing of a Sandra Bullock movie. It really is. And I'm not even, I'm not even saying to put down Sandra Bullock. It's this nice, comfortable, oh, well, this is, he's divorced and he's trying to meet a new girl. Here's a cute way to do it. Right. And, oh, my God. Right. And then it just, then it, it yeah. gets dark and does not end. And I mean, this one certainly isn't as violent and weird. No. But we do watch somebody's absolute mental and and uh, not maybe physical but but psychological and emotional collapse i'm sure paramount is thrilled that we're sitting here comparing yeah, exactly yeah, to, young adults to audition by yeah that, yeah that massive summer blockbuster audition <laughs> but she you know, but but it, but i hadn't even I hadn't even thought about that that it it does have uh one of the things that's bravest about the film is that it and encourages you to embrace the cliches that you've seen in so uh-huh. many so-called films about real life. Yeah. Uh, and then it turns them on their head. And while Charlize Theron's character mm. is, in a weird way, always sympathetic, you are kind of rooting for her, but kind of rooting for her in the way you root for a murderer in a Friday the 13th film. Honestly, it, it reminded me, there's a movie called Day of the Jackal, the original one, where you can't believe that you're actually kind of rooting for a guy to kill Charles de Gaulle. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, they get you so involved with this really despicable, um, beautiful blonde character. It yeah. takes you a while to realize, oh, he's a psychotic murderer. Right. Now, she's not a psychotic murderer in this, but she's definitely very damaged. And actually, you don't even understand the extent of the damage until that last scene where that actress, Colette Wolf, who plays my sister, comes out of nowhere. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not spoiling anything because you still will not see it coming. It's the best scene in the film. It's the reason Jason wanted to make the movie. It, and yeah. it, you just cannot believe when it goes down. It, it's it so really, cool. It really is one of the most wonderful and, and intense scenes that I've seen and in cinema without a single explosion. No. Uh, except what you, what you know is going on in each character's brain. Yeah. You know they're both having incredible uh, life strokes at that moment. And, and, and genuinely funny, but still as you're watching it, you're like, oh no, oh God. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, like, you're laughing, but you also cannot believe the final turn that the movie is making. Right. It, now, it's amazing. Even though, even though the, the main character is, is very troubled, and, and you're not exactly rooting for her to break up, with, uh, break up the, the marriage. No, no, But she does sort of exist in this world of, she's absolutely alone in the world and vicious and has no morality. And that's yeah. the sort of thing where you feel like, Ah, she's a miserable person, but she's free in a way. Not only is she free, in a very, very, very fucked up sense, she is doing something kind of admirable in that, in, in the face of all of these impossible odds, she is going to literally try to change the past. Now, it's right. clearly, it's a fool's errand, but there's part of you going, what if she pulls this off? Right. Like, there is something... Heroic about the well, this is nuts. But what if she's not crazy? So your you know? character is, and essentially like her conscience. She, I'm you're like, the old, the old, yeah. pal, not even the old pal, yeah. the nobody that no, she yeah. ignored in high school. <laughs> Absolutely not. Who's a still high school hanging friend. around town, and suddenly 
you're providing this sort of conscience for her, trying to yeah. bring her down to earth. I'm like Jiminy Cricket with a drinking problem. Like, yeah. I'm, the, like <laughs> I'm being her conscience, and I think the reason she loves having me around is that I can give her all this very harsh advice, and then she still has license to go, but you're not taking any of this advice, obviously. Look at your life. So it's this very comfortable space for her. And you're the only, you're, you are the only character who's actually engaging with her. And in calling any real her on way. her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm yeah. actually listening to what she's saying. And I'm the only one, especially that scene with her parents, right. where you're like, she is basically screaming for somebody to step in. Right. And I'm the only one who's actually going, yeah, you really are crazy. You need to get therapy. You're, you're fucked up. So obviously 20 years ago when you uh, made yourself the physical specimen that you are today mm -hmm. in anticipation of doing this film. You actually had no anticipation of doing this particular I, film. I see double T seed. I committed how, to the carbs. And, <laughs> and how did you... Uh, well, uh, is this surprising to you to be in this film? Yes. I mean, obviously you are a, I had no an, a, an incredibly skilled... An incredibly skilled uh, comedian, writer. Uh, also, uh, you've been in lots of films and done serious roles. Big fan. Yeah. Obviously, you played a very serious character. Dollhouse but... was very serious. Right. But I didn't know that, uh, you know, again, like, Big Fan was one of those weird flukes that just was dropped in my lap. And, and it was one of those things where I'm like, well, this guy's making this movie for no money. And we don't even know if it's going to get distributed. But this is what I always said Hollywood should do. So I should actually put up you know, put my money where my mouth is. So right. I went and did it. And then, um, and now this thing came along too, which again, it feels like, I, I like when people ask me like, so, so are you going to be doing, choosing to do more roles like this as if I've had any control over my acting career? Everything, all my acting jobs have been these insanely lucky accidents at this point. You know, I, I don't have any real autonomy. I might get a little bit of autonomy after this film for right. a window of, you know, two weeks. I'll try to use it wisely. But I'm sure I'll, you know, I'll sign on to Gnip Gnop the movie or something like I'm sure I'll make some horrible mistake. It's going to make you a lot of money. Judy Dench is Gnip. Patton Ian Oswald. McKellen is Gnop <laughs> with Patton Oswalt as the controller. <laughs> I'll do something horrible. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing you had to do in this film that perhaps you didn't anticipate doing is you had to get essentially naked with Charlize Theron in the yes. room. Yeah, I basically had to have a love scene with Charlize Theron, which I know it sounds great on paper, but when, once you start doing it, you realize, oh, I, built the way I am, am going to be naked next to Charlize Theron, built the way she is. So I'm naked next to one of the most physically perfect women on the planet. Like, right. there's no way I could do and this scene with, like, John Goodman or Michael Moore. <laughs> like, I have to be with someone that's just going to amplify. One. Yeah, exactly. You're yeah. the one that got the call. I, I got the call, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and not only that, but your character... Uh, was was maimed as a teenager. Yes. And uh, did did they you like there, is there CGI? Or? They, I went to this uh, because I, one your leg is is horribly it's uh, startling. Yeah. Well, I, I I went to a, a effects house in up, up, upstate New York, and there's this little tiny, you know, kind of up and coming effects house. They did Black Swan. They do Boardwalk Empire, but they're really tiny and they're really skilled. And they made a cast of my leg and then used that as a model to. Shrink. They used the same technology on me that they used on. Who's the guy that played Captain America this summer? I forget that actor. Uh, Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. They shrank him using CGI instead of built him up. So it looked really. The, the scene when it happens, 
is very. It was it was startling when I saw. It. I didn't know they were going to do that. And it's very subtle. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden, one of the things that your character is sort of never revealed mm -hmm. is this gets scar. revealed. Yeah, gets yeah. Revealed. yeah. So. But I mean, that's the thing. My own limited experience with acting. Mm -hmm. The one thing I learned is that the that the art of it, and this is why people get paid a lot of money. Uh, and become monsters. <laughs> is yeah, exactly. That the art of acting is artifice to some degree, but allowing yourself to become incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. Just letting, re releasing all of your personal hangups in and order also, to be seen. And also, kind of um, uh, powering down all of your personal shields, all of your, you know, protection strategies, everything that you've built to kind of give yourself a protective, secure persona. You have to throw, because what you've done is, and I always, I was guilty when I was younger of like, acting is just pretending, meh. You know what, acting is pretending, except that you're, you have to pretend from the ground up. You have to build an entirely different lattice that you're not used to moving around in and then inhabit it absolutely, completely, and especially. And, and authentically. Authentically, and yeah. especially if you're doing scenes with someone like Charlize, who is such, she is such a good actress, not only because she has this insane talent, but she's been doing it non-stop, like literally since 1994 or 95, I think, something like that. Just non-stop. Right. And so she, imagine somebody who has amazing skill being able to do the thing they should be doing constantly over a number of years. So now she can do it so instinctually. It's like real, like master Shakespearean actors, they don't talk about this because they want to make it look like, oh my God, the hard labor I go through. But for a lot of times, they can slip into these other personas and it's amazing to watch it happen. And they have, and yeah. she, Sorry, Because of the years of experience, they've gone through that. Yeah. So I knew that, I, I was lucky enough because I'm such a film buff and I've seen so many of her movies. And um, I mean, she's, here's how good an actor she is. I would compare her to people like, like um, Morgan Freeman and, and Helen Mirren, and that she's even great when she's in something that's not great. Like, if you watch that movie, The Devil's Advocate, which is not the greatest film ever made, but she takes what could have been the most forgettable role and, and builds a whole life, and basically plays like a southern, like kind of, you know, rangy, hell-raising woman. She's from South Africa. Right. And she created this completely different persona from the ground up. So like, all that, when you know you're going up with someone like that, I don't want to. It's not that I want to persevere. I want to compliment her really well. Right. And also because. Well, but, but to be fair, to be fair, in that film, she had a lot to work against because she was working with Keanu Reeves. She. <laughs> yeah. She had a yeah. lot to kick against in that oh, film. Oh, and here's Keanu Reeves now. Uh, oh. Hey. Oh no, I love Keanu Reeves. But also, um, she. Uh, She's one of those actors, she's from that Bill Murray school of acting where she wants to make everyone else in the scene look better, right. to make the whole scene great. So, you know, she's giving you stuff she wants you to give back to her, you know, and let's, so let's when, go. When you're waking up the day of or a couple days before the scene, the scene. Where, where you have to be naked, where you have to be mm -hmm. basically as vulnerable, not only you're going to be seen by her, but by everybody. Yeah. And I don't know if you're like me. I don't like to take my shirt off in private. Oh, I know, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, what, what do you guys talk about? How do you prepare? Did you discuss the you scene like at all? Physically or? or actually talking to her? Actually talking to her. Well, the, here's what was weird about that scene. When, when you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. I thought, well, I'm going to be re very nervous because I'm naked with her. But then when we, when we both did the scene, what freaked us out 
is that it's the first point in the movie where we don't talk to each other. Right. We don't have anything to say at that point. We, we've been peeled so raw that now, and the whole movie, it's snarky, 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 clever, 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 back and forth to happy right, drunk. Right, because you have a it. kind of Nick and Nora Charles. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, ba drunken banter. Yeah, Nick yeah. and Nora Charles, if Charles Bukowski wrote The Thin yeah. Man. It's basically Nick, that. Uh, um, Nick and Nora Charles by way of Fargo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... And now we have nothing to say. Do we even exist to each other if we don't talk? Right. And, and that became way more nerve-wracking than being nude with her. Sure. It was really weird. And uh, was there a scene that you did that was scarier than that one? Well, I mean, initially... There's... I don't know. I'm, I'm no, putting no, no, this no, on no, you. No. I'm just presuming you were scared out of your mind. I was, oh, I was totally scared of my... The other scene would... that was equally as scary to me, though... I will say, is the very first scene we shot in the bar when we meet because I'd only done the table read with her and suddenly we're doing this movie, which we shot in a month. Right. We only had a month to shoot it. Right. So there wasn't a lot of like, let's sit and discuss. I had done two months of work with an acting coach and with a physical therapist, but suddenly we're just, I mean, I sat down, for this role. she came in and boom, we just went at it. Yeah, specifically for this, I'd never worked with an acting coach. I will never not work with an acting coach again. It really? is a, it's a completely different world if you work with an acting well, coach. Well, I think we actually have that scene as a clip. Oh, okay. So maybe well, we can take a look at it and tell this, us what to look for. Well, what to look for is that I think in this scene, people have said that they really like it. I feel like I'm very much overcompensating. I'm doing that overcompensating casualness because I'm so goddamn terrified. Because especially if you look at the way it's shot, we shot everything on location, no sets. So it really was this grimy bar in upstate New York. And she walks in and she really is this ray of hotness in the, in the middle of, and, and especially look at the color schemes of the clothing compared with her and the way she's lit. So it is like, it's not so much that I'm talking to a girl that I used to know, I'm talking to an elevated being. You know, right. like that's how I approached it. So it all, it, it, weirdly, my fear ended up helping the scene. Yeah. My well, terror. So well, let's take a look. Let's take a look at it. What? Maybe scary? I, th I think we went to high school together. At the same time? Yeah. I'm Matt Freehoff. My locker was actually next to yours all through high school. Matt. Freehoff, yeah. Yeah, your, your locker was right there. Right next to mine. Rated R. So. Yeah. Terror. Absolute terror. Acting. Yeah, as actor. Yeah, exactly so. Yeah. So you did the, the... Can you put hemorrhoid sufferer underneath? <laughs> and then case number 712. Sorry. <laughs> so what did you learn? If, you, if there was one thing that you took away from the acting coaching, I mean, I'm really curious. Oh. Like, what was the thing where you're like, oh, I never thought about it that way before? Write out, look at your dialogue, and then write what you're actually trying to say. In oh. other words... A really good screenwriter, like if you work with someone like Diablo and even Brad Bird in Ratatouille, there are scenes in Ratatouille, especially with my dad, where I'm saying one thing, but I'm, but I'm trying to articulate something else. And if you know, if you can write out emotionally what you're actually trying to say in the scene, which what I wrote out in that scene, which is, please keep talking to me and, you know, don't just cut me off. Like, let me actually talk to you. How can I? And, and when that is underneath this very casual stuff I'm saying, which, oh, didn't you win this? Blah, blah, blah. 
it, it will affect how you say what you say without you even having to think about it. Right. It was, it was pretty fascinating. Once I started doing it, I couldn't stop. It really helps. It's a, it's a whole other world. The, the thing I love about that scene is the freedom that your character sort of feels, even though he's terrified, what's just happened. That he's yeah. sitting there and this person from high school who was the queen of high school comes in and literally takes her place yeah. where they used to stand next to each other side by side in the yes. locker room. Oh, it's wow. so implausible. Yeah. I mean, this is what I took away from it. It's, like, no, it's so a... implausible and crazy that you just get ginned up and you lose all your... It almost feels like a dream. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And because it's a dream, you, it actually helps you lose a little bit of the fear because you're like, how bad can this end up going? Exactly. What's so. the worst thing to walk out? I mean, at least I said one thing to her. Exactly. Because I wasn't planning on anything happening tonight. And the great line in the film that you deliver so well is, guys like me were born loving girls like you. Yeah, that's the one line I didn't have to write any other intention out for because it's the one line, it's the one time, except for a little bit later, where he actually says exactly what is on his mind. And it's such an incredible thing to say because, well, you guys should see the movie, but I'll say this last thing yeah. of just appreciation, which is that uh, it does say two things at the same time. One is, I love you. Two is... I kind of hate you, but I am doomed to love you. Exactly, yeah. I hate the love that I have for you. Boy, we really got this movie down. We yeah. really know this movie very so, well. So, folks, yeah, Christmas came early, huh? Yeah. Woo! So, one last thing. <laughs> so, you, this movie's going to be a huge success, you realize. And I you're going to. So. I hope so. I think you're going to win all the awards. All, all the awards? All of them, yeah. I'm sorry, best sound editing? <laughs> yeah. That's, dude. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. that's a ballsy prediction. Best visual effects. Best visual effects, best costumes. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? I don't think anyone's ever swept the categories like that, but th that could happen. It's going to be an Oswald sweep. Oh, my God. And, but the reality is that perhaps uh, you haven't had a lot of choice in your life in terms of what films you want to make. And no, I presume that's you want to make more. But that might change a little bit. I hope so. So I'm going to just present you with some choices that you may have to make. Oh, here we go. We know that you're going to do Gnip Gnop, so I can cross... Yeah, you can cross that off. I yeah. can cross that one right off. Here's some more. This is the one that I've been asking some people I know who, who are, are either comedians or like movie comedies or like movies, right? <laughs> okay. Dan Aykroyd comes to you. Oh. And says, this Ghostbusters 3 is really going to happen. <laughs> I don't think Bill Murray is going to be a part of it. I just uh -huh. can't get him interested. Right. And in fact, uh, no studio is going to be a part of it. Yeah. But I am going to put all of my Crystal Head vodka money wow. into, into making it myself. Yeah. And believe me, I have a lot of money. Because that's true. Oh, he does have a lot of money. He said, the, the whole thing is, uh, it's going to be a new band of Ghostbusters. And I want you to be one of them. I would say, Mr. Aykroyd, I am very flattered, but Zach Galifianakis standing right there, I think you we think already, I'm him, we already have, We already have You him. already signed Zach. We already have Zach Galifianakis. Right. Who else? And, and, uh, Who's the, who, so I'd be the third against who? Uh, Kristen Shaw. Kristen Shaw. Yeah, we're going to have a female Ghostbuster. And then who would be the black guy that we hire? Who's the Ernie oh, no, that's Hudson? that's Kristen Shaw. That's oh, no, oh, yeah. ballsy. <laughs> Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. what? I like Kristen and Zach so much as friends. I think I'm going to have to say yes. You would say yes. I'm going to say yes to this clear debacle that's coming down the right because pipe. you know, you you know you uh, do you love Ghostbusters or do you not care about it? Absolutely love Ghostbusters. It's a I don't think Ghostbusters two in a, in a, in a lot of ways should should have happened. Even though 
there were some really great parts to it, and any excuse to see Bill Murray in anything sure. is fine. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. You don't know what's going to happen. You're in this Ghostbusters with Zach and Kristen, mm. and, uh, and uh, uh, Bill Murray has said no thanks, or is dead silent on it. He might look at you different if you ever meet him. Have you met him? I've never met him. So if it changes Bill Murray's mind about you, oh is my that God. something you're going to take into consideration? Oh, geez. I didn't think about that. See, well, here's, okay, here's where the tension comes from. I'm in this business for two reasons, the money and the anecdotes. Right. So I either want to be in the best films possible, and if I can't be in those, I want to be in the absolute worst film. I want to, because I want the story. So sure. to me, doing Ratatouille was just as valuable as doing Blade Trinity, because Blade, I got great stories out of both of them. Which is, you know, like Ratatouille, oh, I got to tour Pixar and work with Brad Bird and Blake. So Trinity. you weren't paid for either film? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I brought a covered dish to each one and they let me uh, be in it. It was very nice. So maybe we'll uh, open the floor to some questions and if you have other movies that you want to pitch. You're not going to pitch, gonna pitch um, 20 Years on the Road, Grumpy Old Adults that we were already talking about doing? Oh, yeah. That's it. Well, here's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you and me? Oh, nice. This is why I'm growing this mustache, because I'm I hoping that someone it. will make this movie. Uh -huh. uh, I'm going to play the young Wilford Brimley <laughs> in the prequel to Cocoon. Nice. And, and, you, I, and I'm, the, I'm the young, out-of-shape Brian Dennehy alien. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And we met, like, as, as kids. Or right. Not, not kids, as He was scouting out Earth back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, and, and, and at some point, there'll be someone who will look at the later cocoon, and they'll catch one moment where Wilfred Brimley looks at Brian Dennehy, and it's like, they were planning it all along. They knew it. They knew the whole thing. All right, sir. Yes, we have a microphone. Raise your hand. We'll come to you right here in the second row. Hi, Patton. How was Remy developed as a character in Ratatouille, and what was your experience like working at Pix being at Pixar and uh, working with Brad Bird and John Lasseter? Uh, well, from what I understand, from what Brad told me, they were really struggling to get Remy down, and then he heard my first album one night and, and heard this bit that I do about uh, Black Angus, and he was like, that's the voice, and he apparently made a pencil test of Remy doing that bit and then showed that film to Disney, and they said, yeah. Well, they go, we like that voice. Is he gonna be cursing like that? They go, no, he's, I just want you to hear the voice. So he brought me up and we met, and we were both big foodies. Uh, and then, and then he, he gave me the part, and then it was two years of going back and forth and, and just doing the script. I never got to read the script. They would just plop the pages right in front of me, uh, right before I would do them. And, um, and I mean, I've since become really good friends with John Lasseter, I see him you know, all the time when I go up there. And I mean, he's, John Lasseter is a guy who cannot believe he gets to make films and is that excited to make movies. So it was, it was the closest I would imagine to getting to work with all of the fabled super groups, like, you know, like the Algonquin Round Table or Warhol's Factory when the most creative people all came together at one McSweeney's, point. McSweeney's, McSweeney's. Yeah. yeah, exactly, McSweeney's, uh, where they all come together. Well, that's happening up at Pixar, so. That's, that's exactly what's going on there. That's, that's what it was like. It was amazing. It was amazing. Got a question here towards the back? Um, you said by, when you were a senior in high school that you were perpetually acting like Bill Murray in Stripes and working in the, uh, and working in the movie theater. How much of that accomplished, like uh, your, your life in high school, was, uh, did you attribute to this role in building that lattice you were talking about? 
Yeah, um, you know, my, the high school years for me, as a, especially as a comedian actor, that's where I got rid of all of my influences and instead of like backed away from them, I embraced them until I was comfortable to form my own voice, kind of. So there was times I, I acted like Robin Williams or Bill Murray or Richard Pryor, whoever I saw as a comedy icon, I would ape them for a while. Um, as far as, what was weird was I left my hometown as soon as I could. So what I had to do with, this was way more speculative of, I had to picture what would have happened if I had never left and stayed home and tried to have a life out there and how kind of miserable. And I think I would have been a very, I don't know how unhappy I would have been, but I would have been a very unpleasant person to be around because I would not have gone and done the thing that I feel like I should have done. You know, Is there was, something that your character maybe was going to do but didn't end I up doing? Absolutely, I absolutely, when I was talking with Nancy about it, we absolutely mapped out that he was going to leave. He had this whole future mapped out and then... You know, not only did he not get to do that, but he lost senior year of high school, basically. Right. Which is why he talks about it kind of bitterly. Like, oh, yeah, I got to miss six months of school. You right. Know? So what was he going to, just out of curiosity, what was his plan? In my mind, he was going to go to New York City and become a, like, uh, a comic book writer or artist. I think he didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. But it was going to be, I'm going to leave this town to do something he artistic and amazing. Yeah. knew he wanted to belong to a particular world. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. Any, any other Yes. Whether it's because you respect them or because you think they are so insane you just have to meet them, mm -hmm. is there any actor that you just want to work with for, anecdotal, oh, for anecdotes or otherwise? Uh, God, there's so many. I mean, I definitely would like to work... Okay, I'll tell you my three that I'd want to work with because, oh God, I want to work with them and get better at what I do uh, would be um, uh, Paul Giamatti, uh, Mark Rylance and uh, Helen Mirren to, to go against those guys. The three people of like, oh God, I want to see what it's like every day um, would be Nicolas Cage. Um, uh, actually, in a weird way, and I wouldn't want to be directed by him, but I would like to be in a movie where he has, would be Jerry Lewis, who's apparently just absolutely bonkers. Um, and then director-wise, uh, Herzog. For both, that's a combination of a great director and also a first-class, you know, old-school loon that I'd love to work with. Well, you're, you're in luck in one of those because uh -oh. you may not know this, but Paul Giamatti, Mark Rylance, and Helen Mirren are all going to be in the new Barney Miller movie. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they're looking for a Wojohowicz. Oh, oh I got I to gotta get a little taller because yeah. Max Gale's kind of beefy. Yeah, well, they're looking to go in a different direction. Okay. Yeah, so it could be you. Yeah. I'll, I'll make some calls. Don't, wow, thanks. Boy, I can't believe they gave Halle Berry the fish roll, though. That is so miscast. <laughs> and she's a great actress, but come on. That's just a different thing. Right, you know, were true. you mad right. that Starbuck was a woman? <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, okay. We have oh, time, for, time for two more questions, All the right. first of which is right here. First of all, congratulations on your Grammy nomination. Oh, um, thank you. Thanks, man. I just wanted to know, uh, yes. first of all, what was your reaction when you heard about it? And second, you're up against Weird Al's. It's like the Bill Murray question. <laughs> if it changed Weird Al's opinion of you, would you rather not win? I heard about it through a text. Well, oh, that sounds like a bad Jim Croce song, doesn't it? <laughs> if, if Jim Croce lived, he would have wrote, heard about it through a text. Time traveling Jim Croce sings <laughs> songs from technologies not existed yet. Why'd you defriend me on Twitter? Um, I heard it. I got a text from a friend. I was like, oh my God. And then um, 
And then I confirmed it by going on Twitter, actually. Yeah. That's how I confirmed it. Um, Weird Al and I are really good friends. And two years ago, we were also both nominated for Grammys. And we had a lot of fun kind of messing with each other as the day got closer. And so I don't think it would change his opinion. I mean, he has, he's won five Grammys. Like, I don't think he cares at this point. He, it, to him, it's all hilarious, you know? So, although his new album is pretty amazing, it really is. So, although if, if I, and again, I don't believe in false modesty, I think I put out a very good album, but if I were to pick the Grammys, I would absolutely give it to Louis C.K. Absolutely, that album is so good. And I'm just saying that. I'm not saying out of false modesty. It's so awesome. So, yeah. One more question. Front row. Front oh. row. Um, if there, this is one of those if, if, if situations. But um, if any movie that is out currently um, where you feel like I should have played that guy. <laughs> you know what? Here's what's really weird about that. I've read for some... I read for two very... Um, big roles that I lost to someone else and then I saw the movie and they were so much better than I was that I really go by that Charlton Heston credo which because he turned down Cool Hand Luke get your hands and, off me in that one right, yeah get yeah. your hands off me um, he turned down Cool Hand Luke and Butch Cassidy and so people ask him oh you must be killing yourself over that. And he goes, no, I think the reason those movies worked is because Paul Newman got them. I could have gotten those roles and the movie would have stunk. So there's certainly roles that I've seen that I'm like, oh, I would love to do something like that. But if I see a role that captivates me so much, then I'm like, well, obviously that person nailed it and I might not have. So I've never, it's really weird. I, I'm, I'm actually so happy that I'm such a film fan and I'm such a film geek and I know all of the almost was's or almost were's in terms of casting, that I know how horribly things could have gotten, gone wrong, that it's hard for me to get jealous about losing roles if the role goes well. The one role that I did lose, and I, and I, I wasn't angry because I thought he actually did a really good job because it wasn't a huge role, it came down to, I don't know how it came down to this, for um, when they did uh, Dillinger with Johnny Depp, it came down to me and Billy Crudup for Hoover. Yeah. You guys and, are always chasing uh, yeah, the same exactly, role. Yeah, exactly, yeah, Crudup Oswald. And my only thing was like, but Hoover is this chinless, kind of bullfrog-necked weirdo. Like, well, he I, looks like, uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I was just like, I just in, in terms of pure physicality, now, Having said that, when I saw Billy's performance, he actually did play this very repressed, damaged guy I thought really well. Right. But if you're going to go for because everyone else, they went for real authenticity, like that's how that guy looks. I was like, well, what the hell? Hoover didn't look like Billy Cribb. He looked like me. Like, he looked like this fat toad. Uh, any other questions? It was my righteous ugliness coming out. I like it. Exactly. Like it. Was there another question? Yeah, right over oh. I'm sorry, what? I think she was saying you look like a big fat nerd. Oh, oh that's wow, that's... So... No, she's saying you don't look like a big oh, fat nerd. Oh, well, I mean, thank you. I mean, look, I'm not putting... I'm not trying to put myself down. I'm just saying, if you had to go, okay, we got to get a Hoover. Yeah. Do you get Billy Crude up, or do you get Pat Oswalt, or someone that looks like Pat Oswalt? Would you star in the American remake of Audition as the, as the guy? <laughs> oh, wow. You know what? No, I wouldn't, because I don't think that movie should be remade, because if they remade it, they, you know they would puss out. Right. Is there you a movie they, that you think should be remade? A good movie 
that actually you, you know would what? like to remake? Yeah, you know what I'd like to remake? This is really weird. I always am, uh, um, I am a big advocate in remaking movies that had a brilliant concept and then they somehow fumbled it. So, for instance... Silent Running. When <laughs> Silent Running. When... Um, when Cronenberg remade The Fly, that was brilliant because yeah. The Fly is a great concept, and they didn't run with it when they originally made it. So you're going to remake The Fly? There's a, yes, I'm going to remake the one that... <laughs> but I'm going to tell the... I'm remaking the one that didn't work, not the brilliant Cronenberg one. Sure. Um, no, I would remake... There was, a, uh, there was a Jack Nicholson film that came out around 94 called Wolf. Sure. And the first act is so brilliant. The idea that because he becomes... This werewolf, it actually, it, it actually, what if it isn't it a curse? It empowers him. What if it is not a curse to become a monster? Yeah. And then now how do you deal with that? You get but to in, pee all over James Spader's shoes. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was so, the first act of the movie, it, it sets up a much better movie that, than what happens. And I almost feel like, and I, I think it was, who wrote that script? But I, I, uh, I, I, I would almost guarantee you he had a much better script in the studio and went, let's just have monsters fighting. Yeah, let's, let's have two have uh, wolfmen fight. Wolfmen, and then they fight. There you go. Can they jump real high? Can we yeah. have them jump real oh, high I at each other? Oh, I love the jumping. When they go up and people shouldn't jump that big, that's how you know they're werewolves. Right. I think that was a Mike Nichols movie. Yeah. Watch, huh? I think that was a Mike Nichols movie, wasn't was it? Was it? Watch Wolf. Just watch the first act. It is the best setup for a movie that they then don't... How would you solve the... How would you solve... What would, well, we'll talk about this later. Yeah. Everyone else, send in your best uh, third acts <laughs> for Patton Oswalt's Wolf. Yeah, for uh, Patton Oswalt's Chubby Patton Wolf, Oswalt which will go into production in 2013. <laughs> thank you very much, Patton. Oh, so nice. thanks, guys.